whether you've read it or not, you're likely familiar with the novel Don Quixote. I read Don Quixote in high school as required reading, which uh, means you could say it was thrust upon me at a time and in a manner that made it difficult to appreciate, which is code for I hated it. <laughs> to be honest, I, I, I don't remember De Cervantes' prose as well as I recall the musical that it inspired, <laughs> Man of La Mancha. Now I know, because I've asked, for some people the lyrics are tired, I know. But I, I gotta be honest, for me, they really never fail to resonate. To dream the impossible dream, to write the unwritable wrong, to try when your arms are too weary, to reach for the unreachable star. I, I can't help but admire the person who insists on dreaming the impossible, reaching for the unreachable, trying even when overwhelmed. And so it always bothered me that Don Quixote is portrayed as somewhat of a buffoon or somewhat insane, a tragic figure, because I viewed his ability to hope amidst hopelessness to be not tragic at all, but heroic. To be honest, it always struck me kind of rather Jewish. All right, now, so how do you regard the inveterate optimist? As a naive, tragic figure or as a heroic one? Well, it, it turns out our answer to that question may in fact depend on whether or not we root ourselves in the camp of ancient Greece or ancient Israel. You see, these two civilizations gave to humanity two diametrically opposed ways of thinking and acting in the world. And even if it's subconscious, every community and every individual chooses one of these ancient perspectives, and that choice dictates how we react to the world around us. If we subscribe to the worldview of ancient Greece, well, we believe Don Quixote is foolish because we know our world is entrenched in cycles and certainties. Our fate is determined, and try as we might to change or direct it, the forces we face are insurmountable, their victory inevitable. And most of the time, most of America chooses the camp of ancient Greece. But this fatalistic paradigm has a counterpoint that is rooted in the surprise of optimism and possibility, a worldview that is the gift of ancient Israel. And it tells us that Don Quixote is a hero because there is always hope and the future is still undecided. In this worldview, we live to make real what Lord Rabbi Jonathan Sachs calls the not yet in history. We can dream and build and change in order to bring about what has not yet been created. It's the gift of our people who have called ourselves Asire Tikva, captives of hope.
So we ask ourselves, consciously or subconsciously, do we live in the camp of ancient Greece or ancient Israel? And don't be fooled. This is not an academic exercise. Our answer will dictate how we face the year ahead. Now, it doesn't come to a shock to anyone that one of these pervasive worldviews comes from ancient Greece. Right, to reframe the words from the comic film, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, you give me an idea, any idea, and I'll show you that the root of that idea is Greek. And if we look at ancient Greek myth, we see our future has already been set by our past. Like the natural world, we live in patterns that repeat. Our fate is mapped and sure. And the great tragedy, the very definition of tragedy, is watching people believe that they can change their fate and ultimately fail trying. Tragedy is seeing even great heroes full of what the Greeks called hubris, but what you and I would call chutzpah, try to escape their destiny only to meet their downfall. We can think of Oedipus. The king and queen of Thebes are told by an oracle that they will have a son who will kill the king and marry the queen. And from that moment on, they take actions to make sure that future will not come to be. And yet, every action they take brings them closer to that very outcome. They move inexorably towards a fate they cannot escape. And if it's true for kings and queens, we're meant to believe that it's true for all of us. You can tell Caesar to beware the Ides of March, it will do you no good, and Romeo can cry out, then I defy you, stars. And yet his very acts of attempted defiance will bring about the star's design. In this worldview, we shouldn't dream the impossible or reach for the unreachable because it's hopeless. To try is foolish. Don Quixote is an old fool, maybe a comical one, but a fool nonetheless. And the seductive whisper of this worldview surrounds us. And the more we are surrounded, the truer it feels. It feels true when we witness massacre after massacre committed with firearms, and yet we see no change in policy, no matter how many innocents are slain, and despite the fact that overwhelming public opinion supports change. And it seems true when African Americans and Jews marched together these past two summers holding signs that read, New Generation, Old Battle because we're still fighting for an elusive equality. And it seems true when policymakers and academics tell us about entrenched cycles of violence, cycles of hate, cycles of poverty. And it seems true when family and friends say, why vote when the election is rigged, or real change makers can't fight the establishment, or, or worst of all, no matter who I vote for, nothing will change. It's hard to shut out the seductive voices of the insurmountable. They tell us, don't reach for that unreachable star. Stars are for the young and the naive. Just remember what you learned the hard way. You'll fall short.
Stay grounded in what is real, what is practical, what you already know, and what you already have. Make the best of it, and let it be. And that might seem wise, were it not for that flicker of our heart that is not yet weary nor cynical, that is still aflame with passion and ideals. There is that stubborn voice inside of us that simply cannot accept that things are immovable, inevitable, as good as they will ever be. That voice that asks, wouldn't we really rather be Don Quixote? Don't we all really believe that change is possible? This is Yom Kippur. And for this period of time, we Jews gather and we hold up the worldview that was given to us by our ancestors in ancient Israel. Because time and again, we have been the voice of the not yet in history. Judaism calls on its adherents to be sentries on the watchtower of the possible, to believe that there are times when unprecedented change can occur. Rabbi Sachs writes, Abraham leaves Mesopotamian city-states to begin a new way of serving God. Moses and the Israelites leave Egypt to found a new social order. They are about to build a future unlike the past. It was a revolution. Judaism calls on all of us Break the cycles, rewrite our destiny. Don't accept this as all there is. During creation, God calls out in Hebrew, Yehi, let there be. Let there be light, let there be waters, let there be trees and birds of the sky, let there be beasts on the land, nothing that had ever existed before that very second. With each new act of creation, God calls out, let there be, not let it be. Because in just one word, there is a world of difference. Let it be has its time, but not on Yom Kippur. We commit ourselves once again to saying, let there be. We creatures made in God's image, we too can create. So how would you and how should we finish that phrase, let there be? What new and needed thing could we call forth? Because our tradition teaches that God needs us as partners to perfect this world, and that trying to do so is not tragic, not foolhardy, not quixotic, not Pollyanna-ish. Rather, it is decidedly Jewish. And we all want to so badly, even when the rest of the world assures us it could not possibly be different, it could not possibly be better, that we've all been here before and we know how this story ends. Let it be, they say to us. But tonight, we commit to replying instead, Yehi, let there be. Our nation needs it of us. This was a country whose foundational documents were based on the idea of Yehi, let there be. 
America's earliest generations did the unthinkable, throwing off the yoke of a tyrant and dreaming into reality a nation and government of, by, and for the people. But today we seem so far from a country grounded in the belief that the unrightable wrong can be made right. When did we lose that? When did we become overwhelmed by the insurmountable? Our leaders and our elected representatives dare not be daring for fear of losing their constituencies and their jobs. And cynicism seems the fashion when it comes to our democracy, as polling shows faith in the American system to be at all-time lows. But there are embers of faith within each of us which have not yet been extinguished. So could we return to let there be? Because we all know let it be isn't working. It hasn't been working for some time. So what might we do? And what might we imagine? What might we act upon in order to make a more perfect union? In the truest sense of that phrase, more fair, more compassionate, less divisive, one way we'll begin to seek answers as a community at Central is through our listening campaign, which you heard about on Rosh Hashanah. And we've all been invited to participate in it. It's perhaps one way that we can begin to dream the impossible so that we can wake up to its reality. And like our nation, our community needs us to act as though the plagues around us are not embedded in our nature and not destined to repeat. And let me tell you two stories of people who did just that. Let me tell you the story about Irvin Westheimer. One day, Westheimer saw a boy rummaging through trash in search of food. And that image stirred his soul. He couldn't let that be. So he entered the alley and introduced himself to the boy whose name was Tom. And Irvin took Tom to get a proper meal. And over lunch, learned more about Tom's life. And over time, he developed a relationship with the boy and with his family. He even helped Tom's mom find a better job. Later that year, Irvin helped organize the first chapter of what would become the Big Brothers and Big Sisters organization by connecting colleagues with other youngsters who were in need of help and in need of mentorship. Now, did Irvin break the cycle of poverty? No. But the organization has changed the lives of countless thousands, and mentoring remains, by all accounts, one of the most effective ways to narrow the opportunity gap. His dream in 1903 changed for better our reality in 2016. And let me tell you about a central employee named Stephen Harris, who is also saying, let there be. When Stephen is not at Central, he spends hours coaching basketball and mentoring boys and young men in his neighborhood in New York that's not far from here. Why does he do it? He's trying to keep these children from getting swallowed up by the violence going on in the neighborhoods. Stephen described to me being overwhelmed, walking past memorials that would spring up in spots where young boys were murdered, <coughs> victims of gang violence and gun violence. Stephen says these memorials became as common as trash on the street, and he couldn't let that be. He said to me, I have to save some of them. 
And so he's devoted himself to teaching these children to be champions on and off the court, instilling in them life skills like leadership, responsibility, but most importantly, he says, dreaming. He doesn't know what will come from this, but he says he is full of faith and a word that he picked up at Central, full of chutzpah. He's dreaming the impossible so that we can wake up to its reality. And on this holiday, I would urge us to say to ourselves, let there be instead of let it be. What feels insurmountable, relentless, unchanging in our personal lives? Is it that grudge that we've borne quietly inside? Is it that hurt that we caused but we've never owned up to? Is it the argument we're resigned to cycle back to time and again with our parent or our spouse or our child? Is it the relationship that we're in that we know is broken and yet the fear of leaving it or the shame of leaving it gives us pause? Is it our job that we no longer find fulfilling or that even perhaps asks us to compromise our values? Is it the dream we put on the shelf years ago thinking we would one day return to it or the cause that we said we would champion if only we had the time? Our tradition says it's not too late. We can begin to whisper yehi, let there be. We can try. We can always try no matter how many times we've come up short in the past. When I sent a draft of this sermon to my father, he wrote me back and said, I think your grandfather gave a similar sermon. Well, I didn't give it much thought until the next day when I received an email in all caps that read, I found it. So I opened up the attachment, and there was the handwritten outline of my grandfather, Rabbi Ernst Lorge's Rosh Hashanah sermon from 1968 that he delivered at Temple Beth Israel in Chicago. What they're doing with the Cubs on tonight, I don't know. <laughs> but my grandfather used the same song from Man of La Mancha to pose the same questions. So I guess I'm just a big walking Jewish cliche. <laughs> or even worse, I've disproven my own points, right? Because I've just repeated my grandfather's sermon thesis. So there we go. We've illustrated the worldview of ancient Greece. A message my grandfather preached in 1968 is still relevant today in 2016. We can all go home and resign ourselves to our fates. But I would really argue, in fact, that what this demonstrates is the opposite. Rabbi Bukhtal spoke on Rosh Hashanah about the call of Judaism, a single tribe, to raise up all the tribes of the world, to shed light where it is most needed. And this is not just Judaism's call for this day. It's been our call in every generation. We're not repeating the past. We are continuing to work toward a dream that we know is possible, a dream that we've carried for thousands of years. And while we haven't yet realized it, we persist in trying. My grandfather, after speaking about the discouragement of Vietnam, 
the racial prejudice being lived out on the streets of America, the upcoming 1968 presidential election, and the pervasiveness of fear that he saw in his day, declared that Judaism is not quixotic in its demand that we reach for the unreachable. And he said it's, it's not that we live in a delusion or that we wear rose-colored glasses, and perhaps this is where we differ from Don Quixote. Rather, he said, with eyes wide open to the brokenness and the despair, we still find within ourselves the fire that allows us to take all of that in and defiantly declare, Afalpichen, Lamrot Bachel, in spite of all this, still we dream. That is Judaism. In spite of all this, he said, we must bring the unreachable star close to earth and thereby reach it together. That was the mission and challenge of his day, and it remains ours. Don Quixote's anthem finishes. The world will be better for this. That one man scorned and covered with scars still strove with his last ounce of courage to reach the unreachable star. My grandfather suggested that phrase needs editing. Not one man striving alone, he said. Rather, it must be all of us together. So let us not be dismayed nor deterred. We remain captives of hope. And if our people could labor in the shadow of pyramids and weep by the rivers of Babylon, Sail forth from under the skies of Spain, mourn by the banks of the Tiber and the Rhine, toil in the furnace of the Pale of Settlement, and survive the deep night of ghettos, labor camps, and death, while still affirming that slaves can go free. And an eternal promised land, a world to come, still lies on the horizon. So too can we. Our stories are not yet complete. The year ahead is unformed, and it's waiting for us to call out, Yehi, let there be. There will be an evening and a morning, a new day, breathtakingly, optimistically, defiantly new. It's waiting for you, and it's waiting for us. <laughs>